Everybody figure it out? Got it all? No? No, he doesn't. No? <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. What, what we've been doing, if, if you haven't been here with us, is as we do that, spend a few minutes, and then I'm going to go through just this passage, and then we'll come back to that at the end. So if you've got questions or comments or just something that comes to mind, be thinking about those, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But let's pray, and then we're going to get started on the teaching, and then we'll come back to the question and answer in a minute. But Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for each one that you've brought here. Uh, Just this time that we can uh, raise our voices to praise your name and to come to you in prayer, we thank you for the wonderful privilege that is. We thank you for your word and the way uh, it still teaches us that, uh, that it is living and active and and that it reveals our hearts and our intentions and that it is eternal and that we can keep coming back to it over and over, always seeing you more fully. And we just ask that that would be the case tonight, that as we open your word, that we would see you more fully, who you are and the ways that you love us and, and what you want for us. We pray that uh, your spirit would lead and guide this time as we often confess. And even as our passage says this evening, that it's apart from your spirit, uh, we're hopelessly lost. And so we pray that you would just lead and guide us in this and just bring the things to mind that you want us to see and just uh, that you would teach and instruct us in this. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking uh, about the idea of the, the different fears that we have. We all have fears or things that we don't like, maybe things that make us uncomfortable. I shared this morning that, that mine, uh, a big one for me, is snakes. I really, really don't like snakes, and so I just avoid snakes. Uh, like when we go to the zoo with the kids, I just like go real fast through the reptile thing. I'm like that's great, you guys can. Look. I don't even like looking at the little when they're in the cage. Uh, I just really don't like uh, snakes at all. Some people, I mean, that's a silly thing. Some people uh, fear of heights. Uh, maybe you don't like roller coasters, going up tall buildings, that kind of thing. Uh, or I read this week, actually, or a couple weeks ago, one of the greatest fears, I was kind of surprised by this, but like 85% of all people, a great fear is public speaking. The idea of having to stand up and talk in front of people is horrifying, and that's a pretty common one. And so I was thinking about those, just, just that thing, because Jesus talks about not fearing, and some of the things he says in our passage here go to that. And, and, and things like snakes or heights or, or things like that or, or, or public speaking... For the most part, if we really don't like it, really makes us uncomfortable, we really don't want to be in it, we can avoid it. We just stay away from it, right? Like, I've done a pretty good job in my life of staying away from snakes. I just don't get near them. It's not that hard to just uh, avoid it altogether. But the problem is, uh, one of the things I think a lot of times that can make us uncomfortable is one of the, some of the stuff that Jesus is calling us to and pointing us to in this passage. And, and what we've been doing, uh, now going back, this is the third week as we've been talking about just in this series, following Jesus and what that looks like. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does he call us to? Some of the things he says, some of the things he brings to light can make us very uncomfortable. And one of those for a lot of people is what he's talking about today of going out and sharing your faith. 
being sent and going out and talking to other people. And a lot of people, that's a really scary thing. And a lot of times what we do is we just avoid it, just like we do all the other things we don't like. We just will all kind of sidestep that, right? Like I see that I'm supposed to do that, but that makes me nervous. I don't really like to do it. So I'll just kind of sidestep around that. And so this, this evening, that's what we're going to talk about. This, this sermon really is just following Jesus means being sent without fear. Right? We're being sent, but he tells us not to fear. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, you know, this passage, as we read it, as I read it uh, to you just a minute ago in verses 5 to 15, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus says that uh, it really at the time that he was teaching and telling and, and where he was with the disciples, a lot of what he was saying is even uh, was directly for the disciples at that time and telling them where to go geographically and who they're to go to and what that's to look like. And some of those things he says are kind of are time bound. They were for them at that time. But a lot of the things he says in this passage are for all of us or for all Christians. And so there's a lot of good things we can take from this, even though some of those at the beginning might be a little bit. He talks about going only to the house of Israel and some of those things that are there. But then later on in scripture, at the end of the New Testament, he'll say, go make disciples of all nations. And so it's no longer a place or just a certain group of people, but it's to all people. And that's all of our jobs. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so this is what, uh, there's an outline there if that helps you. Uh, pull those out from the bulletin this morning if that helps you. Three things that we're going to just ask this, this evening as we think about this idea of being sent without fear. Following Jesus means being sent without fear. So the questions are first, who is sent? Second, what does that look like? And then third, uh, why is there that we have nothing to fear with all that Jesus tells us here? What he tells us, there's nothing to fear. And so why is that? And so who is sent? What does it look like? And why do we have nothing to fear? So let's just start with the who is sent? Whose job is it? Right. Like we talk sometimes in, in uh, Christian circles about uh, the different gifts that God gives us, the gifts of the Spirit and the things, and some people are evangelists and some people are this and have gifts of encouragement. And so sometimes we kind of go, well... I think we try to sidestep this a little bit. But the first thing, first point of who is sent, and the answer is if you're a Christian, it's you. That's the answer, right? Who is sent? All believers are sent. It's all of our jobs as a Christian to go forward and to proclaim the gospel and to tell people. Uh, that's, you see that all throughout Scripture, and it's a great privilege that God bestows on us when he, he uh, saves us. He brings us from death to life, is what scripture talks about, and then he sets us out, and he says, now go tell, go make disciples of all nations, right? That's the last thing Jesus says in his earthly ministry, go make disciples of all nations, uh, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you, and he sends us out to do that. One of my favorites, uh, as we've been talking about this a lot in the church lately, we've done these vision dinners, and what we kept coming back to a lot and saying over and over is this idea as we gather together to worship and to, to grow. We want to understand more fully who God is, encourage one another, but then we go. right? We, we grow and then we go. And we've been saying that over and over. Or another way we say it, and we've been talking about this with the discipleship house, the guys that are now living up there. And we've been talking about these things. What we say is, is we want to be one, let's to be a disciple of Jesus, and then we want to make some. Be one and make some. And that's the picture that we see in Scripture. Jesus sends us out, and it's a great privilege for all of us who've been brought from death to life to now proclaim how that happened. And it's through Jesus. And, 
And as we talked about that in our meetings and the different things, and I kept saying that over and over, I always go back to 1 Peter 2. It's one of my favorite passages, and he says, uh, he talks about how we've now become a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He's, he's called us out for his own possession. God's done this thing. Uh, now as the church, he says, you're actually a, a new ethnos. You're, it's greater than even your ethnicity. You're, you're one together. And then the next thing he says is he's called you out so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness. Right? I've set you apart and I've made you these people so that you can go proclaim what's happened. And so that's our job. And so when we think about that picture, for all of us, we're sent. Right? So when we ask the question, who is sent? It's all believers. All people that know Jesus, that have put their faith in him, are now sent. And that's the picture all through Bible, all throughout the scripture. But what happens a lot of times when we start to talk about that is we start in our mind to think of ways we can kind of sidestep that because there's some scary parts to that and what would that look like. And part of it is our culture today. There's a, there's a strong objection today that would say, uh, you can't do that, that's, that's terrible. Right? And, and maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you have that objection. Maybe you've had that kind of run through your mind before. It's very common today to have the objection to say, it's great that you're a Christian. It's great that you believe Jesus is your Savior. I'm happy that's, that's good for you, but don't tell me. Right? Don't you come and tell me. And people will say, uh, uh, even as I say it, as I stand up and say, you're sent, we're to go out and to tell. There's some people that get real uh, frustrated with that and say, what, you're actually condoning proselytizing. Right? That's what they'll say it today, and that's the very negative way to say it. Don't you dare tell me that your way is better than mine. You can't say that. You can't do that. And that's kind of the culture we live in. That's very normal uh, uh, world today uh, objection. And we hear that. A lot. And if you share your faith, you will hear that. You'll hear people that say, oh, come on, that's fine for you, but don't push that on me. And so if you've come face to face with that, maybe you've, you've shared your faith with somebody and that comes up and they kind of come with that objection. Well, that's great for you, but don't try to push it on me. And, and, and what often the objection, basically what behind the objection is, is just to say that's an arrogant to insist that your religion is right and to try to convert others to it. Right? It's just arrogant for you to say that you figured it out or you've got the right way. And so don't, don't do that. And so what happens is, and I want you just to think about that. If you've ever had that objection or you know somebody who holds that objection and they say that, I want you just to think about what's behind that and what they're really saying. Because it's important to actually get what's going on there. Because what they're really saying is, 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 is to a Christian, right? if we say we're going to follow Jesus, which is what we're talking about in this series... This is a non-negotiable point of following Jesus. He sends people out over and over. right? This is the, the, what we call the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Jesus clearly commands us to do that. right? I mean, think about the Great Commission. Just if you're unsure of, of where you fit in that. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And so, down through the ages, that has happened. Disciples have been made, and they get, go out, and they get made. And now we're here. And if you've put your faith in Christ... You've been taught all the things that he said, and you're being taught, and we're to obey him, which what he said is make disciples and teach them. You see how that comes down to us, and so that's us, and we're to do that. And so it's a non-negotiable of following Jesus. We're supposed to be doing that. And so if somebody has the objection that you can't say that, that's arrogant for you to try to convert me, so you can't say that to me. What they're doing is they're trying to convert you to their faith. That's really what they're doing. It's a self-defeating thing. And I don't say that like, 
ah, ha, ha, you've got them, and now... But you, you, what you want to do is, is be able to think through those things with people. What they're saying is, I want you... It's fine that you're a Christian, just don't really do it all the way. Don't really follow what Jesus says. I don't want you to do that part. And so what they're doing is they're trying to change your very core belief. And so they're doing the same thing that they would accuse you of doing. And I just say that to, to think through. If you, you will come up, if you're sharing your faith, you will come up against that objection at some point today. And so just to be able to kind of think through that with somebody and go, well, wait a second, let's just be honest about what we're doing. You're, you're really trying to convert me. And, and if you're, you're honest, you'd say, well, you, you are trying to share the, the truth of, of what the Bible says. And so just to consider that. Now, if you are a Christian and you don't have that objection, but you kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about the sharing your faith. Uh, I say this as humbly as I can, but also as directly I can, as plainly as I can. And it's simply this. If you are a Christian, you are either sharing your faith or you are disobedient. That's simply what we get in Scripture. We're either following what Jesus has told us to do or we're being disobedient to what he told us to do. And that's really all there is. So when we say who is sent, it's all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. And we're to be looking for ways to go out and to do that. And that's all of us. And so that takes us to the second point, right? That's who is sent. It's all of us. The second point is, what does that look like? And that's where we're really going to look at this passage and what Jesus says to us in a couple of different places here. Start with verse 16. When we think about what does it look like to be sent. And so he starts with verse 16. But behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so you get this. If, if you're kind of apprehensive about sharing your faith. And so then I say, what does it look like? And the first thing we're going to start with is it looks like sheep being amongst wolves. Very comforting, right? Like, now go out and share, and it's like sheep amongst wolves. Jesus uses this analogy a lot of sheep and shepherd and wolves in this picture. It's because they would have known it in their culture. They knew what a shepherd looked like. They were around. They would know exactly what he's talking about. It's just a very practical example to use. They would know that sheep are completely helpless. Right? If you know anything about sheep, they can't run fast. They can't defend themselves. They can't fight. They're basically just there for the taking, for wolves. That's basically what sheep are. And they're not very smart either, right? And so you have a bad mix there for, for sheep. And so that's the picture. And so Jesus uses that picture and he says, I'm sending you out you're going to be like sheep amongst wolves. And when you first think about that, you're like, well, great. You know, like that's so comforting to be sent out as a sheep amongst wolves. But as I kept thinking about that, you know, Jesus uses that analogy over and over and when he does, and when he talks about it, he always comes back to that he's the shepherd, right? All his stories about sheep and the sheepfold and what he does, I am the good shepherd is what Jesus says. And he says over and over. And the only way that a sheep is uh, kept from harm is by trusting their shepherd. And so as I thought about that analogy more and more and what Jesus is saying is your sheep being sent out among wolves. And the only way this works is if you trust the shepherd. You're putting your, your faith and your trust and your complete obedience and care in his hands. And it's the only way this works. And so when we start talking about who is sent and then what does it look like, well, what it looks like, first and foremost, is we're completely and totally dependent on Jesus. It doesn't work any other way. We're the sheep. <laughs> we don't really have any other way to do this except through his power. And so that's the first part, is we put our faith completely and totally in Him. 
We have to trust Him. And, and, and the picture is all throughout Scripture is that God doesn't allow anything to come into our lives that ultimately is not for our good and His glory. It's all throughout Scripture. And even when we go through hardships and different things, He says He's going to use those. That's the Romans 8.28. We oftentimes can't see how that's working or how He's doing that, but He works all these things Together for good for those who's called according to his purposes. And so we trust our shepherd, even in the midst of wolves, right? Uh, in First Peter 2, it talks about uh, trusting when you're uh, reviled and not returning the same thing. And then he says, just as Jesus did. And then Peter's reasoning is he comes back and he says, just as Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges just, justly. It's the same for us. You entrust yourself to God and that he's sending you out and he wouldn't put you in a position that he doesn't want you in, that he would, he'll be there to protect you. And so that's the first part, is, is, is trusting him completely in that. That's all we've got. And we go out and start to share our faith. But then the second thing, just even in that verse right there, it's all in that first verse 16. As sheep in the midst of wolves, but then he says, be wise as serpents and innocent as, as doves. And so I want to think about just the innocent as doves part first. And I started to kind of study the word that's used there and different things and looking at those. And, and the picture starts to emerge of what it's talking about to be innocent as doves. And, and the picture is this uh, being harmless, going out with no pretense, no deceit, uh, no cunning, not being manipulative, but being honest in your relationships. Uh, like a child in a lot of ways. Just being straightforward, right? If you've ever been around kids, they'll just tell you exactly what you think. And they don't mean it ugly. They just say what's on their mind. My kids do that all the time. And they just say it, you know? And, and that's, that's the picture that's here of, of just being open and honest with people. Sharing your heart and what God's done for you and what you've seen Him do and just... Saying that and being real open and honest in your relationships, not trying to be real deceitful and trying to trick people, but just being honest with them. But then the other side of that, and, and it, on its face, when you first read it, innocent as doves and wise as serpents, they almost seem like contradictory, right? Like they're the other side of it. And so, but the, the picture that's really there of being uh, as a serpent, wise as serpents, is just not, not being naive, but having a discernment and a wisdom in the way you talk with people. And so in my mind, the way I think about it is being open and honest and sharing with people, but also being discerning to where they are, right? Just, just to, to kind of meet them where they are. And you see Jesus do this over and over. He's the perfect example, right? When, when the Pharisees come and they attack him and they're just going at him with verses and stuff, he answers them with scripture and he goes right back to them and he meets them right where they are. I, I love the, the passage when the, uh, the Sadducees come to him and they're trying to catch him with resurrection, Right? Is there a resurrection? And so he quotes back to him that, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and what he's saying is that's present tense. And so what he does with the Sadducees, perfect example of meeting them where they are, is he goes to the first five books of the Bible because that's all they believed. And he shows them how resurrection is in the first five books of the Bible. Right? Because if God is presently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that means that there's resurrection because they're still alive. Right? That's what he shows them. But he meets them right where they are. Wise as serpents, you meet people where they are and have discernment and wisdom on the way you speak to them. And so you're open and honest, but you also have this discernment and wisdom. Notice here, too, that in this passage at the beginning there, it says Jesus, uh, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. 
Oftentimes when we think about sharing our faith and going out and talking to people, because we live in America, the most individualistic society in the history of the world, when if I say to you, you need to go out and share your faith, you start thinking individually, who am I going to go share my faith with? Right? We all do that. You just immediately think, how am I going to do this, and what will this look like for me to do this, and I'm going to go out and talk to The Bible almost always talks about this in a community, doing it together, right? Jesus sends out the 12 together. He doesn't say, okay, one of you go that way and one of you go that way. He sends them out together, right? Later on, he'll send them out in twos and pairs. And so you see that all throughout Scripture. Of doing, this isn't something when we, we the, the apprehension of, of doing that and sharing your faith. It's almost never just go out and do it on your own. Now, now that doesn't mean there won't be an opportunity for you to do that one-on-one or on your own at different times. But it doesn't have to be. And so just that picture of us going together and helping together and, and the different gifts that we have and the way people uh, talk and different things, it's, it's a, to me that's a great comfort to think about talking and going with other people and being sent out together. One other thing, though, on what this looks like. Look at verses 17 to 23, what he says right after that. Right? And so we've got the, the wisest serpents, innocent as doves, relying on Jesus. But then look at what he says in verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And so what Jesus says is what this looks like if you are faithful in doing what he tells us to do, that you will be persecuted. Right? That's, that's the uh, clear picture in Scripture. He says that over and over. He says real clearly there in verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And so we've got to remember part of it here uh, is very directed to the disciples and sending them out. There was very real danger for them to go out and proclaim Jesus as Lord. The the idea in their time that there's Caesar, they're under Roman rule. Caesar was God in Rome. That's literally what they would say. And so if you go out and you proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus is Lord, what you are saying is that Caesar is not. And so that's a very subversive radical thing to say. And so but part of the context here is Jesus is sending them out in a very revolutionary way to say and pronounce something that could really get them in trouble. And so part of that is, is very literally, you might get dragged in front of people and beat because of what you're saying. The same is true today in different parts of the world. You know, we've been meeting uh, in our prayer breakfast on Tuesday mornings. And just a couple weeks ago, uh, Jay, our friend, big tall Jay, if you guys know him, has been here. He's a missionary to Afghanistan. And he's been here uh, getting ready to go back. And he goes out to the middle of Afghanistan to spread the gospel. And he has to be as wise as a serpent on who he talks to and how he does that and, and the way that looks. Because there's a very real threat that he could be killed for his belief. And so there's that picture that it's still very real today. And so, but I want us to think about, for us, when we talk about persecution, well, what does that look like for us? Right? Jesus promises that if you're really faithful, you'll be persecuted. And I think the picture is, is thankfully, we live in a place that we're not going to be thrown in jail. 
And we're not going to be beaten for what we believe. Most likely not where we are right now. Not today anyway. And we enjoy a great freedom to be able to do it. And so what would persecution look like? And I think what it comes down to is people might have the objection that we talked about before. How dare you say your way is the only way? So they may press you on that. Or they may ridicule, ridicule you. Or they may give you a hard time or say, you're an idiot for believing that. Right? That's, that's a very common one today. How can a thinking person believe that God came down and raised from the dead? And so you may be ridiculed and just being made fun of. I mean, that's basically what persecution looks like in our country today. Well, you're just not very smart if you believe that. And so the question I have is, as I was thinking about this is Jesus promises that we'll be persecuted if we're faithful in sharing our faith. And so my question is, and you know, this is just for you to answer in your mind and to think about, how many times has that happened to you? And has it happened to you, or maybe it hasn't happened to you, and maybe it hasn't happened to you because God's just been incredibly gracious, right? You've met people that are open-minded and you can talk to and they're willing to, to have that conversation. Or has it not happened because you're not sharing your faith? And only you can answer that and what that looks like. But if he promises that there'll be persecution, then if we're doing that faithfully, that's going to come at some point. And so that's, that's the second part of what it looks like, right? We have to go out as, as we are the ones that are sent and we have to be reliant on Christ. And we're to be uh, transparent and honest and open and loving with people. But we're also to have discernment and wisdom. And we should expect that there will be persecution. There will be opposition to that picture. Now, I want to be careful when I say that because I've heard people, I've met people that are like this. They go, well, it says in the Bible that I'm going to be hated for Jesus' name, and so they're a jerk. Right? It's like a free check. Now I can be a jerk to people. You're going to hell. Right? And they just go around and just like get in people's faces, and they're obnoxious. And that goes exactly against what he just said about being innocent as doves and wise as serpents. They're missing part, right? They're taking one little part, and it's not a blank check to be a jerk. That's not what it is. The, the offense will come in the truth of the gospel, right? Because the truth of the gospel is that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves, and that's hard to hear. And so the, the hated part and the persecution part should come from clearly explaining what God calls us to. Because what it calls us to is that we're sinners and we're in desperate need of a Savior and we're in desperate need of something we can't do ourselves. So it should be that that is the offense, not us. right? And so when we, we do that and we start to go, well, I can just say whatever and, and now I'm being persecuted. You don't go out looking for persecution either. In fact, Jesus says right in this passage, he says, when that's happening and it's intense and persecution in this town, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. And so when somebody is just attacking you and in your face, it's not like you go back at them and, all right, now it's on and I'm just going to tear into this person. It's okay. And maybe God will bring another opportunity to come back to that person, but it's not you that's supposed to be the offense. It's supposed to be the gospel. And so that's, that's the second part of what it looks like. And so the last question is, here we are, uh, wolves, um, sheep in the midst of wolves, and there will be persecution that comes. Jesus says, people will hate you if you're faithful to me. But yet, then he says, don't fear. And so it's like, well, how does that go together? Right? What, is, what exactly does that look like? And I want you just to see a few things real quick 
in this last part of, of why we're not to fear in the midst of the picture that he just painted for us. And so go back to verses, uh, or go to 26 and 27. Right? And so he talks about all this. He says, you're going to be hated uh, for my name. He says, they've called me a demon. That's what he says, right? If your teacher has been called Beelzebul, then you're going to be called the same thing. You're not above what I would be accused of. And so then he says, but so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Right? And this picture that, that Jesus points us to is that he sees all things. Right? There's nothing in the dark. I think of Psalms 139. Where can I go to hide from you? Where can I go that you don't see every single thing? Jesus sees all of it. And he says, I know everything that's going on and I know what it looks like. And, and he says, and your job is to go proclaim on the housetops what you hear whispered. I love that picture, right? The, the picture of the Holy Spirit revealing to us through God's word and Jesus saying, what you hear me saying, go and proclaim. And so I just think the first thing when we think about why we don't fear, uh, our, our confidence isn't in us, but it's in, in God's word and his message, right? We talk, uh, say this often, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. God's word is eternal, and it is perfect. And it, uh, it says it will not return void. And so when Jesus says, what you hear whispered, you go proclaim. You put your faith and trust in what I've told you to say. And you trust me and you go and say it. Right? And so that picture of putting your faith uh, in, in what he's revealed to us. And what he's told us. But not only that, look at what he says right after that. Verses 28 and following. Right? And do not fear those who can kill the body. Who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows. I think about that picture. That is an awesome picture when you really think about it. Just, just think about the birds for a second, right? He says, not a bird anywhere falls to the ground without God allowing that to happen, right? Scripture says that uh, all things are held together by the power of Jesus' word. Right? God holds all things together by the power of his word, and that includes the birds. And he says, so even the birds, every single bird, not a single one falls to the ground without me knowing he says, and then your hairs, every single one of them, are numbered. And so what Jesus is saying so clearly is I'm sending you out and you do this and you don't fear. I know everything and I hold it all together and I've got you. You speak my word, you hear what's whispered and you do so trusting that I hold it all together. And so that beautiful, incredible picture, I love that picture. I think about that when you see birds, you know, or, or later he'll say, I, th I think it's in Luke about... Uh, the birds of the air, you see the birds of the air and they don't worry about their food. They don't worry about what they're going to wear. They don't worry about what they're going to do. They says, how much more valuable of you? And so he just says that wonderful picture of what that looks like. Yet we hear those things and we know those things and we say that, but yet we oftentimes are still afraid to open our mouths and share the gospel. We still fear a lot of times. And so I want you just to think about that. You know, you could, you could read this and, and think about the disciples and him saying not fear. And it makes sense when you think about they could be killed. But oftentimes for us, it's just about what somebody might think of us. 
or we might get ridiculed, or what they would say, or or maybe for you, uh, it's it's um, somebody may ask me a question that I can't answer. Right? They may have a really good objection, or they may go to some verse or something, and I won't know how to answer that objection. Right? To me, I, I relate to that one. If I watch TV or I watch like. Uh, Debates like I used to go watch Richard Dawkins a lot on YouTube, and if I couldn't answer his things, I'd have to go look it up. Just the way my brain works, I'm like, oh, I got to know the answer. And it's like this thing I I don't know, just that I want to make sure I've got all my bases covered, kind of thing. But I kind of know that fear too. If I'm real honest, when I was in school, I used to hate when the teacher would would uh, give a question. She would say, or, or he would say a question, and I wouldn't know the answer. And then they go, who wants to answer it? You know, that two seconds where they're like looking around the room. That was miserable. To, I was like, please don't call on me. Please don't call You know, that was, you talk about your fears. That was awful. Oh, I don't want them to ask me. You know, like, or, or I remember being in, in a college in class where they were asking a question of, the same question of everybody and going up and down the road. But as the people went, all the good answers were now gone. And I was sitting way on the other side. And so I just didn't. That was miserable to me. And the, the, reason, the reason what's behind that, what I'm getting at, is the things that we fear really reveal what's going on in our heart. And if I really follow my fears, or if you follow your fears and the reasons you don't things, it reveals what's going on. And for, for me, with that, oh, don't call on me. It was because I didn't want people to think I was dumb. Right? I didn't want people to think, oh, he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Right? You, or you want to be liked, or you want to be accepted, or whatever it may be. And so when we follow those fears that are going on, we talked about this last week with the rich young ruler. Right? We talked about the rich young ruler last week and the way that he was getting his identity from his moral behavior and from his wealth. And Jesus says, that doesn't work. You make me the center. It's the same thing with our fears. What we're doing when we fear different things like that, what's going on is we're really getting our security and our identity from something other than God. Right? And so you follow your fears and it will reveal what you're putting in God's place. When it comes to evangelism or sharing your faith or going out, what I'm getting at and what we get to down at the bottom of that is the, the uh, picture that really instead of doing what God's clearly told us to do, Go make disciples. Go tell people. Go proclaim the kingdom. Tell my gospel. And we go, I'm not sure what that person thinks of me. We're caring more what the person thinks than what God thinks. We're we're putting uh, what someone's uh, view of me. I'm getting my identity. I'm getting my acceptance. I'm getting what's going on in my life by what this person thinks more than I am of what God thinks. Right? I'm putting them over God. And so Jesus, you know, when you think of what he says here and the way he says it, right, I've got, I hold all of it together. Not a bird falls to the ground without my say-so, my, the power of my word, but yet you care more what this person says than what I've clearly commanded you to do. When we really stop and think about it, that doesn't make any sense at all. And not only that, it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's... God's given us this gift of getting to be part of this. That's not even to say that. Not only are we not trusting Him, but we're not getting in on this wonderful thing that He's told us. And so one other thing, just a couple things here as we're closing. Right? We, we fear so many things and we let, we're not letting God have His proper place. 
But then there's also the picture, the promise that he says. We're not trusting what he tells us. And look at verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20 says, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I want you just to think about this. When we talk about sharing your faith, right? We talk about evangelism. Evangelism simply means uh, speaking the good news. That's what that means. Telling what God's done. Right? That the God of the universe came down and saved us by no doing of our own, and he gives it to us as a gift through grace. It's the greatest news in all the world. That's what evangelism is. And so I want you to think about just for a second, what does it mean to be successful at evangelism? What is successful evangelism? It is clearly proclaiming the gospel. That's it. That's what it means to be successful in evangelism. Right? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah was an extremely successful evangelist. He went out and told everybody everything that God said. And no one listened. And he spent a lifetime of no one listening. And no one coming. But he was successful in his evangelism because he was doing what God told him to do. And he was saying it. And the picture here is, and the picture that we have to remember, is that the work of people coming to faith is not yours. You can't do that. It's the Spirit's work. You're called to be faithful and to tell and to trust Him, and He does the rest. And so the the arguing somebody into faith or having every single answer, you can't do it. That's a wonderful load off my shoulders, to be honest, when I think about that all the time. It's the only way you think, fear of public speaking, the only way I can stand and up and go, well, here's God's eternal word, and now I'm going to try to explain it to you. It's because anything that really gets, that takes root here, is because the Holy Spirit did it. It's not me. That is so, so wonderful. Because <laughs> we'd be in such trouble if that wasn't the case. This would be a disaster. And so the picture's the same with evangelism. Right? God says, I'm going to do the work. You're to be faithful. And you're to proclaim it. And then lastly, uh, just the very last thing... Uh, There should be no fear in doing this um, because Jesus comes and he tells us, we talked about this last week, like when he looks at the rich young ruler and it says he loved him and then he says, go sell your stuff. He could see his heart. He knew what he needed. It was the most loving thing he could say to him. It's the same thing with this, right? When Jesus says, go and tell people, what he's telling you is I want you to go out and to tell people the greatest news that's ever been And I want to work through you. And I want to use you to do that. The greatest joy you can ever have. The greatest need that you have. The greatest need that every person you will come into contact with. You have the answer. And he says, and I want to use you to tell people. And we go, how do I get around that? Why would we want to get around that? Why would we not want to do that? Right? This wonderful, wonderful picture. And the fact that he would choose to use us in that, I can't even fathom. I still don't know why. (laughs) Why try to, just, anyway, I don't know. But that's a wonderful gift that he gives us. And there's nothing to fear. It's our joy and his glory. And he chooses us to use, use us in that. What a gift. It's not something to be feared 
We're to be sent without fear because we're armed with the greatest news there's ever been. So let's pray, and then if you've got questions or comments, we'll come back to that in just a second. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for the ways that you graciously use us. You mercifully include us in your plans, that you want us to be part of what you're doing. And we thank you for that. Uh, We just confess many, many times we we do sidestep opportunities, and we we often uh, can easily slide by and let the chances to, to stand up and to speak your name and to point people to you. And so we just pray right now in light of, of what your word teaches us and shows us that you'd give us a wonderful boldness, uh, a great humility, that you'd give us wonderful wisdom and discernment on how to do that. And I pray that you'd give us opportunities. Pray this week as we leave here that you'd bring many people into our lives that desperately need you and that we would uh, be quick to point them to you and that we would do so with, with just love, uh, that we would be overflowing with the excitement of what you've done for us and that we would be quick to name the one who has sent us. We thank you for all that you do for us and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Any uh, questions or comments or just something you saw or something I missed? That, or whatever. Seth, what do you think? <laughs> Since everybody loves to be called on in the middle, no, I'm just kidding. That's really mean because that's like my, I just said that's my fear and then I did that to Seth. So. Anybody, nothing? I don't know if that's good or bad. Either I rambled so much that you're like, just enough, just stop. All right. All right. Well, good. Well, if you think of something later, we can always talk about it later. Well, what, what we're going to do now, what we've been doing, is just uh, take a few. We're going to sing a couple songs, and as we're singing, you can come up and take communion. I'm going to read us just a passage here to kind of set up communion. But on the right is the gluten crate, if you need that, on the right. And the, the bigger plate, and on the left, the juice there is just the regular but uh, I, I read this this morning, and I just love the way it's, it reads and what it says here from Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read to you just the message paraphrase, if you're familiar with that. Wonderful pastor Eugene Peterson did the message. And uh, some of them, I read it and I go, how did he get that? And then some of them, it just helps so clearly to, to point us to what scripture, just in a new way. And, uh, and I think that's the case with Hebrews 9, and it ties so wonderfully to communion. And so Hebrews 9... This reading from the message in verse 11, it says, But when the Messiah arrived, the high priest of superior things of this new covenant, he bypassed the old tent and its trappings in this created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place once and for all. And he also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives, inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. 
And then in verse 24 he says, For Christ did not enter the earthly earthly version of the holy place. He entered the place itself and offered himself to God as the sacrifice for our sins. He doesn't do this every year as the high priest did under the old plan with blood that was not their own. If that had been the case, he would have to sacrifice himself repeatedly throughout the course of history. But instead, he sacrificed himself once for all, summing up all the other sacrifices in this sacrifice of himself, the final solution of sin. Everyone has to die once and face the consequences. Christ's death was a one-time event, but it was a sacrifice that took care of our sins forever. And so when he appears next, the outcome of those eager to greet him is precisely salvation. And so the picture of, of that once and for all sacrifice, that Christ does it and it's done. And so when we come to the table in communion, we remember what he did, but we also eagerly await his return. The full consummation. Right When Jesus put this into place, he said, uh, do this in remembrance of me and then to celebrate this until I return. And so that's what we do is we visually remind ourselves every week that Jesus made a sacrifice that's once and for all that took care of our sins. The final solution of our sins. And he's restored us to God. And so that's what communion is as we come and we take just a moment to think about what he's done and come in these visual, this picture of what it is. And so we're just going to sing a couple songs together. You can come up as you're ready. And then just a minute, I'll close this in prayer and then we'll be dismissed as we do one last song. But you've got just a couple songs here to take the time that as you need it. And so come up and uh, if, if, if you're led to come take it tonight, you know, we, we often say as we come to communion that it's something that God ordained and set aside for the believer. And so if you're putting your faith and trust in Christ alone, that he's dealt with your sins, then it's open for you to come and partake of that time. So let's just take a couple minutes and sing our praises and then we'll, we'll close in just a minute.